When my oldest was a toddler, he had a few favorite musicians. One was hip-hop artist Applejacks, but another was the famous Bobby McFerrin. Now, if you're wondering who Bobby McFerrin is, he is an incredible vocalist, an incredible vocalist. And he's most well-known for his song, Don't Worry, Be Happy. In that song, he not only does all of the vocals, but all the instrumentals with just his mouth. It's one of those classic, light, feel-good songs. And the theme is just what the title implies. No matter what the troubles in life are, don't worry, be happy. McFerrin shares that in your life you're going to have trouble, but when you worry, you make it double. And he gives situations, like if somebody takes your bed, or your landlord's going to sue you. Don't worry, be happy. I love the song, but for someone in suffering, that advice can be really frustrating. Because what it's basically saying is, yeah, you have troubles, but you're the one making it worse. And that's the theme of this episode, self-inflicted suffering. And this is a hard one, right? Because when we feel like we're in a hard situation, we don't want to be told that we're part of the problem. But what if we are? What if sometimes the suffering we're experiencing is as bad as it is because we are making it so? Our guest Debbie presses us into this topic and helps us explore how we recognize when we're doing that and what we can do about it. You're listening to episode 124 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I thank you that you know both Debbie and I, even though we really don't know each other, that you brought us together for this conversation because you know what you are after. And so we just want to release all this to you. We really believe that you can work through this conversation in ways beyond just the here and now. And so we give you our words and our thoughts. If there's anywhere you want us to land, that you would just guide us there. Because in all this, we want you to be glorified, but we also know that you can do abundantly more. So we give it to you and we thank you in advance. All this we pray in most holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, Debbie, I am excited about this conversation because I really don't know where this conversation is going to go, but I love that we've connected. You know, for those that are listening, what would you want them to know about who you are as we start to talk? Oh, thank you for asking. I actually have a pretty defined answer, which I once upon a time didn't have where on my journey to get closer to God, I learned so much depth about myself. And I went as deep to learn about what my name means and the time of my birth. My name is originated from the Hebrew Devorah, which eventually became Deborah. Mm. And, and I changed it to Debbie, which means the bee seeker. The bee seeker is an animal that defies all laws of gravity, that can do the impossible. And it goes out and seeks the honey of life. And not only the honey of life to nourish the ground around you, it does the impossible and finds what is in your heart. And for me, when I say what is in your heart, it means what God gave you. Mm. The psalm from my time of my birth is 27, 8, and that is also the seeking one. So it's always seeking God within. So once I really learned that, I really learned that I love to connect with people and I always want to learn about them, but I always seem to have this unique talent of seeing a piece of them of, I feel this about you, or I could see this great quality about you, or I think this is perfect path for you. And sometimes people are like, what? That's crazy. Now that it's just so much more defined for me, it's so much more clear to me. 
even yesterday I met with a woman and I was like, I don't know why, but every time you go to talk, I see doctor in front of your name. Hmm. She's like, do you know that I just made the decision to go back and get my doctorate? Wow. <laughs> so I feel like it's just becoming so much more clearer. So I feel my mission in life is to help people follow their heart and get themselves closer to God and be the true self that they were meant to be, ignite that fire within them. And once you're doing the work that God gave you, he uniquely made you just for you, not to be compared to somebody else, not to follow someone else's path, but to follow the path he made for you. And I just want to help as many people as possible get there. That's great. That's great. Here's what's interesting is what you just shared can sound like a hopeful and exciting thing, right? Like here's where you are and here's where you're going to go. And so it would seem odd perhaps to the listener that we're talking during what could seem like a more dismal season of my podcast, this idea of sitting in suffering. It can seem disjointed. But the truth is, is that suffering can play into these journeys that people are on towards what God's inviting them to. And so when you've been thinking about this conversation, when you've been thinking about this season, you know, what's God bringing to your heart? And let's see where God takes this conversation. I feel like there is so much sitting in suffering that got me there. And what I really found in myself was I was the one giving myself suffering. Mm. I was the one punishing myself. When that's not God's purpose, he doesn't say, I want you to suffer and I want you to be upset. He's like, why are you hurting yourself? I want you to be nourished. I love you. I want you to flourish. I want you to follow your dreams. I want you to get closer to me. So much of our suffering is what we inflict on ourselves. I think that God gives us lessons. We probably put stronger emphasis on them to feel like, God, I need to punish myself a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And this time last year was at a retreat with the CFR sisters. And I was so hurt and upset about something that I had said to a friend in seventh grade. You, know, <laughs> you say such profound things in seventh grade, right? Mm -hmm. I just kept saying my whole life since that time is a significant amount of time. I'm going to go to confession. And it just was so heavy on my heart. These words that I said to this person. Unfortunately, she passed away. Mm. We did have a conversation once and didn't really have the greatest like, hey, I'm sorry. And I said at this retreat, I need to sit in suffering with this because I really should feel bad. Mm. I should punish myself. And she's like, no, you need to go to confession and let it go. God doesn't want you to sit it. Let him be the choice of what the pain and suffering should be. Let him be the decision maker of how it should be resolved or fixed. The next day, there was confession in my church and all the women that were at the retreat were like, oh, she has to go first. She has to go first. She has to go first. <laughs> <laughs> I go into confession and the priest, of course, is like, that's a little crazy. You know, <laughs> it's like, go say some Hail Marys. I'm like, I've been holding on to this forever. <laughs> I did actually afterwards go for a walk by where she used to live. And there was a cardinal that whipped right in front of my face right there. Mm. And I felt like she heard, she heard it. And I felt a relief after that. So I feel like there's moments like that where I punished myself so much, but it was me wanting to sit in the suffering mm -hmm. and me just feeling my own punishment. And it wasn't the punishment that God gave me at all. Yeah. This is something that I've noticed is coming up in a lot of conversations and just in my own processing is what you pointed out that a lot of times we'll feel like we're experiencing suffering and we will point the finger at God or we'll point the finger at others. 
but there may actually be a lot going on internally. Ways that we're choosing to sit in suffering, like you just shared. Ways that we are actually causing the issues, thought processes that are making us see suffering where there might not actually be suffering. And so I think you're right. I think that so often suffering is actually self-inflicted rather than God-ordained or God-forced. How do we learn to differentiate between what is external and what is internal, what is real and what is fake, what is an opportunity to grow versus what we think is just a horrible thing? You know, it takes so much time to get to a place in your life where you recognize your cycles. So we're always evolving and growing and we're moving into a higher level, which I look at as we're always getting ourselves closer to God. And that's where I look at it as going into a higher level. You know, we're in school, right? So we're, <laughs> we're learning every day. We're learning how we get closer to God. And when you see those moments, especially of anger and of judgment, and it, it's your fault, that's why it happened. And, and you, so much pointing a finger, it is really the finger being pointed at us because we're getting into that higher level of, I feel closer to God. I feel myself changed. I'm looking at my old self. And I could see it in other avenues and other people of that's no longer who I want to be because that doesn't get me closer to God. That happened and it probably was my fault, but that person, <laughs> it's easier to point a finger at someone else than it is to point a finger at me. And once you can recognize that cycle of, okay, I'm getting closer to God, the old you is so scared and afraid of new you mm. because new you is closer to God and that is more powerful than the old you. And the old you only knows old and is going to be left behind and doesn't know how to deal with it. So it's just grasping onto all these things yeah. of keep me here, keep me down here. I, I'm so scared and afraid that you're going to leave me. It's like, because I am going to leave you mm -hmm. because I have to get closer to God and I'm sorry, you have to go. So that finger pointing, once you could see that and recognize that anger and that judgment and that vices, a lot of people turn to vices to keep them in that numb land. It really are signs of, wow, I have evolved and I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to be afraid because look at being in the lion's den, look at David and Goliath, look at all those saints and figures in the Bible that show us every time they were afraid, that's when God was always there to help them and walk through with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it makes me think of the footprints in the sand. You know, they're only <laughs> one set of footprints because I was carrying you. It's when the, those silence of, I don't hear God, it's like, because he's helping you. He's speaking for you. He's carrying you. And once you feel that silence, it can be such a beautiful thing of, I know that right now I have evolved and I need to be excited for it because it's just can only be a wonderful thing. Yeah. And you know what else makes this evolution hard for our old selves is the reality that there's a lot of unknowns that we're stepping towards in them. You know, if somebody is becoming an expert in their field, they can have a very clear idea of what that will look like, what they will feel like, what that will get for them. So if you become the top in your field, you know, you're going to have a larger knowledge base than anyone else. You're going to have better positions than anyone else, a higher pay than anyone else. You're going to be called on for certain things. You're going to be respected, right? This is the trajectory typically when we think of getting better. But when we're talking on a spiritual level, it doesn't always look like what the world would define as better. Take Jesus, for example. His disciples believed that it would look a certain way. He would become this grand leader coming into Jerusalem, 
But he ended up being someone who was mocked and despised and beaten and killed (laughs) and looked like a failure, right? And so when we're talking about bettering ourselves, we can have a clear idea what that means. But when we're talking about bettering ourselves towards what God's created us to be and what he's inviting us to, sometimes it can look like foolishness to the world. (laughs) Sometimes it can look like foolishness to us because, well, I kind of wanted to be this though. Right. So some of this evolution ends up bringing with it death to our ideas and death to our dreams at times, because the dreams that God has for us is better. Have you found that as well, that as you've pressed more and more into this trajectory towards what God's inviting you to, that it looks a lot different than what you would have planned it to be? Oh, every time, (laughs) every time. It's easier to look back and say, wow, that's amazing and how beautiful God worked. But when you're there, you're like, what happened? One of my favorite stories is from childhood, and I don't really share it often, but early mid 80s, the Cabbage Patch Kids, and I'm sure I just lost like half your audience, right? (laughs) I'm (laughs) with you though. What is that? I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is how American Doll made it because we went through this Cabbage Patch Kid phase. Everybody got a Cabbage Patch Kid. And, you know, my parents will tell the horror stories of going to toy stores in the middle of the night and the fights and all of that. And it was like, I was going to die if I didn't have one. (laughs) Because everybody had one. I was so upset. And I tell this because it is ridiculous of the temper tantrum and the ego talking and how we're children. And, you know, that's how we react. I have to have something. I have to have the thing. There was a local toy store that did a lot of handmade dolls and they made their own version of the Cabbage Patch Kid. And my mom was like, you know, always so much better. And I was like, fine, whatever. And when I tell you it was prettier It was softer, it was more cuddly, and I brought it to school and every kid was jealous because it wasn't the ugly plastic doll. (laughs) It was a doll that was so much more, it had more, and it was uniquely made. And I was like, this doll was made for me. Mm. And you know, I went into the vision as a child of like, I have to have this and it has to be this and how rude and obnoxious I am and how privileged I am to be a child and be like, this is what it is. And God had a different plan. And I think that's where I started of, I don't have to have these things. I'm glad that I learned that lesson so young of, I have to have what God wants for me. Mm -hmm. I don't have to have things. I have to have what God wants. So every job that didn't work out, every relationship that didn't work out, of course, in the moment felt devastating. But the relationship, there was somebody behind it that was so much better for me, such a better match. There was a job behind the job that was bigger and better, that fit my skill sets better, Mm -hmm. that let me grow further. So every time that something gets in my way, especially now when I get a rejection letter for one of my books, I'm like, that's great because now I know that there's a better agent behind it. There's a better publisher behind it. And great. Let's send out five more query letters. When you get that defeat phone call or you get that disappointment, make those impossible phone calls, make those three impossible connections. Cause what do you have to lose? If you always look at it, go positive and not look at it to go negative. Cause it can, if you live in that defeat, you can keep going down further. 
it's God saying, I'm redirecting you. It's like, well, I want to go over there. I want to go up. I want to get closer to you. It's like, all right, well, then make those phone calls. Yeah. So I'm really glad I learned that lesson so young of there's always something better. And yes, it was a material lesson, but I really adapted that of there's something better in everything in my life. Yeah. Well, and I think it's a great story to capture all of this because what we're talking about is a really important way of thinking that we often misconstrue. Because somebody could take what you just said and sum it up as just positive thinking and then get upset because they're like, that's great for something like a rejection ladder. But what about something that is really intense, real suffering? Are you saying just to pretend like everything's okay or just use positive thinking and ignore the negative stuff that's happening? or try to shift it around, or are you talking about settling? And the thing is, is that's not what you're talking about. What you're talking about is actually really hard for us. It's acknowledging that we might not know everything, that what we think is happening, the way we think the world works, the things we think we need, we could actually be wrong about that. Mm -hmm. That's the starting point. And that's what you're basically saying is when something bad happens, instead of our gut reaction, how can we pause and say, maybe this isn't, what I think it is. Maybe this isn't the end that I assume it must be. Maybe God actually is after abundantly more. Maybe God is actually at work. And that thinking is hard because it costs us our understanding. It costs us sometimes our plans and our methods. And it invites us into an unknown. We have to trust God, even though he's not showing us exactly what's going to happen. Oh, no, no. This person rejected you because I have this for you. Sometimes it's like you said earlier, it's a hindsight thing that we're able to look back and say, ah, we're having to choose to step into that without the confirmation <laughs> that we're actually stepping towards something. But if we don't do that, it brings us back to what we've been saying. We can actually bring about self-inflicted suffering because our suffering exists because we've lost this thing or plans didn't work out or we're not getting the Cabbage Patch doll that everyone else is getting. The thing is, though, if we recognize that we could be wrong, that God could have something better, then it allows us to be able to release the thing. It can still be hard. Yeah. It can still be heartbreaking. It can still be difficult, but it doesn't have to be suffering. We can walk through it. So how does somebody grow in that ability to choose to trust what is possibly unknown? And that's a hard question because I think it's different for everybody. So you have to grab those moments when you actually get the confirmation of, I understand why this happened to me. I worked downtown Manhattan for 10 years. I worked all over Manhattan, but for 10 years, I was all the way downtown. And I worked a ridiculous schedule. I worked four to midnight. Sometimes it was midnight to eight. Mm. Sometimes it was 24 hours. And I was always like, why am I working weird hours? Nobody works weird hours. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. Like, I don't get it. I was upset about it. But on September 11th, that morning, the phone rang obsessively. I'm like, what's going on? And, you know, I found out that the airplanes had hit the Twin Towers. Mm. I had just applied for a job right there. Wow. So not only was it confirmation that God was definitely watching out for me, he made sure I wasn't there either direction. But I was there a few days before, you know, I was interviewing for a job in that building. And when you get that moment of now I understand, you got to carry that with you of don't forget what he did for you here, because if he did it, then it's just showing you how many more times he's going to save you again. So I can't speak for how it works for everybody. I've just asked for everybody to realize that moment of 
wow, this was a miracle. Especially when you go for that doctor's appointment and you're waiting for that, oh my gosh, what are the results going to be? And oh my gosh, how crazy it's negative. Like I don't have anything. I'm at the clean bill of health. I mean, that is such a beautiful thing. That could be a miracle. Just look at those things of, oh my gosh, that car almost hit me. It missed me. You know, those moments happen to you all day long. When you go and acknowledge them, you will see more and more of these miracles. And that gets you closer and closer to that trust. And it takes time. It takes time to really put yourself in those shoes and train your mind to recognize those things and give that gratitude. I encounter so many negative people that are just so angry. And it's like, let's look at how great it is that you woke up today, how great it is that you're sitting and having a wonderful lunch. You know, they want to be angry. But the more that you just keep smiling and keep positive, the people around you will start to come and notice. And the more that you start to show your light to these people, they show their light and they show their light. So then your circle becomes bigger, but it becomes loving. And I wish the world would act in that way because it does give you that trust and it does show you in those moments of doubt and fear and I'm scared, but God is always taking care of us. Yeah. I really appreciate that approach because it's essentially practicing, right? It's like building this capacity to trust in small ways so that when the big thing happens, you've got this body of work preceding it versus how we can often stumble into this stuff. We wait until the big thing happens and then we try to figure out how do I trust God in the midst? And that's hard. You know, it also makes me think of there are jobs where you're almost building up this muscle memory. You repeat this task over and over and over so that in the moment that you need it, it's just this muscle memory. It's just kind of there. And that can be the case too. If we've practiced this, like you said, looking for how God has already worked, learning to grow in that, learning to trust in the small things, then it'll become more muscle memory when you know, hard things sometimes can really take a lot out of us, mm-hmm. can hit us emotionally, physically, to the point where we really have very little capacity within ourselves to figure out what in the world to do. And having that muscle memory in place of what it actually can be to trust God can actually kick in in the moments where we feel like we have nothing left to give. Those moments, I want to press into that idea a little more. A lot of what you do is helping people to realize the dreams that God's putting in them and helping push them towards those dreams. And it made me think of, in scripture, someone that had a similar situation was Joseph, who literally had a dream (laughs) of what God was inviting him into, this level of leadership, his role within his family almost being switched (laughs) from being the, the lowest to being in this position of authority, but his trajectory there. Someone could look at it and say, that was a whole lot of needless suffering that he went through. Being insulted by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, falsely accused, imprisoned, left in prison. And then finally, finally, there is this piece where the dream came true. So what does somebody do when they know God's put something in them? They're trying to go towards it. But there are a lot of hard things happening along the path. Yeah, I mean, we all have one of those situations. And I think of somebody like a Nelson Mandela that stayed in prayer. I think of its perfect divine timing that it is the divine mercy. You know, just sitting in that prayer of Jesus, I trust in you. 
Jesus, I trust in you, and just repeat it as much as possible. It's not easy. It's not easy. But the more you repeat it, the more you stay in that trust, because you're always going to be tempted to not. You got to reground yourself. You got to look at the light and just know that if you're at the lowest, all you can do is go up. So everything is a season. It's like, okay, well, how did I get here? I don't even understand. This could not be any worse. Sometimes sitting in that cloud of fear, this happened to me last summer. You know, I sat in that cloud of fear of, I have no idea how I'm going to make this work, God. I have no idea. I'm listening to what you are asking of me. And I feel this dust around me. And I just had no emotion, but I'm sitting there going, this is not going to get worse. Mm -hmm. This is just my silence of my cycle. And it's only going to get better. And in a few days, you get the phone call of, oh, yeah, that was a huge mistake. I have no idea how that happened. But don't worry. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, that feeling of I'm sitting in the cloud of dust and I'm trusting you, Lord. And I know that there's this upswing coming. I know I feel it. I'm staying in trust in you. And it is a meditation. It is a solitude in some places because you need to block out noise. Because there's the noise of others, which can be a huge noise of ego. Mm -hmm. There is the noise of the people that don't see what you're going through. And that, again, is just temptation. And not everybody means to be evil, but, you know, there's the people that don't get your journey. And that's fair. That's fine. They can only see what they can see. But staying in trust is so difficult, but it's so beautiful. And I just look at sisters that are in my life, like the Mother Teresa sisters, the CFR sisters of how they tell these great stories of trust. And one story of they needed a new roof for their convent and they had no idea where the money was going to come from. And they just stayed in prayer of we're going to get the money. We're going to get this roof fixed. You know, this is our place. And out of nowhere, a huge donation, anonymous, came they got the money and were able to put the roof on their convent. And listening to stories like that are just such beauty of how their prayer was answered, how their blind prayers were answered, and how beautiful it all comes around in full circle. I try to stay in those moments and uh, just try to stay in that Jesus, I trust in you. And I just keep encouraging people around me to repeat it as often because that fear is just clouds of dust. Mm -hmm. It's just in your way that it doesn't exist. Yeah. The trust exists. And I think that's so important because what it's inviting us to do is to know who God is. This is where we can get tripped up is there's a lot of reactions we can have when we're trying to seek God and then bad things happen. And on the lowest level is what Job's friends were telling him to do and what his wife was telling him to do, just curse God and die. God's clearly given up on you, so you need to give up on him. It's not a good response. Now, Job recognized this. He landed in a place of choosing not to reject God, but he still really wrestled with it. It was still very hard, and he wanted God to answer for it. <laughs> God, explain yourself to me. Why are you allowing this to happen? And then you get to a level like Joseph. To my knowledge, I can't recall any moment where it indicates that he questioned God or anything like that. We get this sense that even as the hardship was happening, he still chose to trust God. I wonder how often he sat there either when he was enslaved or in prison and remembered the dreams. I wonder if there are moments that he had hard questions. Did I really have those dreams? Were they just the result of eating bad fish? 
was God trying to say something different to me? Because none of it made sense. If God was trying to do something in his life, then why in the world would he be in prison, right? But he chose to continue to trust and stay the course, even if he had no idea what the course was. Because the course was choosing to go towards God, choosing to go towards God. And all of that can be hard for us because we have in our minds that if you believe in God, that you should always be happy. We'll pull in verses, I've learned a secret to being content in all situations, rejoice in the Lord always, like all these passages about peace, joy, and hope. And we equate all that with, if I'm not happy, then I'm off track. You know, I have people that come to me that they get so angry of something's not working out or how dare this happen. And, you know, they're just angry and they gave up on God, mm-hmm. right? So my goddaughter, one of my goddaughters, she was losing weight like ridiculously. She's really young. I think she was like five, six at the time. And they only really noticed it because one of the daughters was doing, it's like wrestling. I think it's called the ultimate fighting challenge. Mm. I don't really know enough about it, but you have to get weighed in. So you're all in the same weight class. So the sister is older and they're like, oh, just for fun, let's weigh everybody. Mm -hmm. They noticed this huge fluctuation in her weight. And the mother was like, I don't feel good about this. This just can't be good for a girl this age. I mean, she's really skinny. They took her to the doctor. And they're like, she has diabetes, the worst level, Mm. and she's going to go into a diabetic shock. She can go into a coma. You know, it was in minutes that they were able to bring her to the doctor, you know, recognize this just out of a whim and find out that she has this type of diabetes. And so the father is just upset. How could God do this to this beautiful child? And I'm like, okay, well, let's break it down. She's really young. She's saved. You saved her life. So let's look at that. Her parents saved her life. And that's you. So please look at that as first a miracle. Second of all, look at all the graces that were given. It brought your family closer together. It showed them empathy for each other. They're all looking out for each other. They learn to give compassion. They're learning. All of them are learning so much about this disease so they can prevent it for themselves, for their future generation to come. And she's young enough that it doesn't really phase her. She's still doing all the wild and crazy sports and doing all the fun things and still getting on your nerves. So she's okay. She's okay with it. You know, she's still smiling all the time. And you don't know who she's going to be. You don't know if she's going to go and become a doctor and cure this disease. There's so many good things that have come from this that are only upsetting you. It's not upsetting her. And yes, it, it is a suffering. It is a angry and mad, and that doesn't make me happy. But look at how many things it gave you to make you happy. Mm-hmm. How could you look at all of that and not understand God? You're angry at one specific thing, but look at all the good things that have come from that. Mm-hmm. And that is beautiful. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a unique story. I think people get angry at that one piece and just want to sit there and be angry. And it's like, well, look. Look at the blessing. Mm-hmm. Look at all the goodness that can happen here. Yeah. I mean, you're inviting us to embrace the idea of the bigger picture and not just the bigger picture for ourselves, but something outside of ourselves. And you touched on something that brings us back to this idea of self-inflicted suffering is we do want to grab on that pinpointed thing and be angry about it. Sometimes we just want to be angry. <laughs> Sometimes we don't want to be positive or optimistic. We just want to sit in this place. And it's just a weird, weird thing about human nature. 
But the invitation is to say, yes, this pinpointed thing is here. And also there is so much beyond that. But what I really appreciate is, you know, when you pressed into what if this inspires her to go and cure this for someone else, right? You know, there's so much that God can do through an event that can become that abundantly more. What man meant for evil, God used for good. Again, coming back to that Joseph story, somebody could have looked at it and say, God could have made Joseph second in command in so many other ways. So why, why did he do it in this way? And I think to your point earlier, you know, one, let's push back on the notion that God caused all this, right? It could be that God didn't stop it from happening because he saw something that Joseph couldn't. But what we can see at the end of the story is one, a whole lot of people didn't die of a famine, right? Because of this, because someone was second in command that had a relationship with God and the ability to interpret dreams, and that allowed them to foresee this famine that was coming. So that's a big thing right there. But in addition, God did something deeply powerful for Joseph in teaching him what forgiveness looks like. Because how do you forgive your brothers who tried to kill you and then instead said, okay, well, let's not kill them, but let's sell them into slavery and totally ruined a large chunk of your life? Like, How do you forgive? Yet God positioned something within Joseph's heart to actually forgive them. And now Joseph can take that and understand God's forgiveness in a much deeper way. Because maybe there are times in Joseph's life where he did something that wasn't honoring to God and he questioned how God could forgive him. But he could remember, oh man, God equipped me to forgive my brothers for the worst thing ever. How much more can he forgive me? Man, let's think about what his brothers learned about the love of God. By seeing the love of Joseph, knowing that they didn't deserve forgiveness, knowing that they deserved to be executed on the spot, that he instead forgave them and said, what you meant for evil, God used for good. Now, when they think of God's love, man, if Joseph loves us in that way, how much more does God love us? And so these moments that look like suffering for us, God could actually be trying to do something way beyond our comfort, our security, our reputation our plans for our lives. It may have nothing to do with us at all at times. It may be for someone else. And that's the bigger picture. But we sometimes want that little thing because it feels safer and contained and we know what it is and we know what to do about it. And the bigger picture can be scary because there's a lot of unknowns. (laughs) That's the most common fear, right? The unknown. Mm -hmm. So let's say you've got somebody and they're coming to you and they're like, I'm trying to figure out what to do with my life, where to go, but I'm in a really hard season and I don't even know how to get out of it. How do you encourage somebody that's in that space? What do you invite them to do as a first simple step? That's an interesting question because the past few potential clients, that was the conversation. Hmm. I'm stuck and it's impossible. I'm too old or I've been in this relationship so long, like I don't know how to leave. I don't like what I look like. You know, I'm in debt. I'm drinking too much. I'm turning towards drugs that I don't want. I'm, you know, watching things that I shouldn't be watching. And it's interesting because I'm thinking of two people specifically that are completely different. Like one is very young and one is much older. There's definitely a 30 year gap between them. And it's the same exact conversation and story. I've learned through this journey that people come to you because they see your light. And what's important is that people see that I did have darkness. 
I didn't go through the greatest time in my life where I was in those places of I'm drowning in this job. It's ruining me. Yes, I'm going for that extra glass of wine at night because I don't know how to fall asleep and get out of all this anxiety. I'm angry at everybody, eating ridiculously. I've done all those things. But I also recognize what's ruining me and what is God's guidance for me. Where does he want me to be? It wasn't my sole purpose. So I was mad at the job. I was mad at everybody else, but I wasn't at that job because that job was right for me. I was at that job to learn a lesson. Mm -hmm. It helped me get to the next step. It's never impossible. It's never the wrong time. God is always on time. You can always get yourself to where you want to be. The dream just keeps evolving because if God gives you something and you miss it, how many times is he basically like, here, I'm going to hand this to you. Here's a check for a million dollars. You know, and then you throw it away by accident. He's like, all right, we're going to do this in another way. So <laughs> he's going to get you whatever it is that you need. He's going to keep recalculating and keep trying to knock you in the head until it actually comes to you. So I feel like when people come to me, they could see that light of, wow, you were in a dark place. They may not know that, but they see the light. They see that I got to the light and they want to get there. So I love to look at big picture. Yeah, but you got to look in that every day. That first step of, I want to have this conversation with you because I see your light and I know you can help me find my light. And that to me, I think is a huge acknowledgement of you can do it. You can get there. God's speaking to you. Your heart is speaking to you. It's asking for help. Mm -hmm. Unpeel the layers, unpeel the fears of what is the top five fears that are holding you there and just slowly just layering them away of you can fix that. That can happen. That can change. We can make that work. Lay out the overall plan of what it can look like. It's not going to all happen overnight, but just to have someone to be like, you can help me see my light. Mm -hmm. That alone will unleash so much. I feel privileged that people want me to help them that are like, I know that you can help me do it. And I don't think that there's anything impossible. Just the fact that you want it is just shown that it's your dream. It's in your heart for a reason. And you can turn it around. Everybody, it doesn't matter who you are. You can lose weight. You can get yourself out of debt. You can get another job. You can work on your relationship. These are all things that are doable. And those are usually the top things that are on everybody's list of I want to fix and I want to change. I mean, thousands of others, but those are the top ones. And they're all fixable. You're just so stuck in it that you can't see it. You can't get yourself out. You just need some help. And I don't think there's anything wrong with asking for help because we're all here to help each other. Mm -hmm. So in that, we're talking about people who see a potential dream, that see your light and want to find out what their light is, that have an awareness. What would you say to the person who does not feel like there are dreams for them? that does not feel like there is a light within them, that God is not offering them something. What would you say to that person whose suffering is that, that they don't even think those things exist for them? I think that there are dreams that evolve. So there's a famous example of a 65-year-old man that's like, I want to be an MLB ball player. I've never played baseball in my life. I don't really know the game that well, but I want to do it. I've learned that through this whole process, there's a thousand dream crushers. So majority of people would be like, no, that's not going to happen. So just go back to crying and just shut up. <laughs> I don't believe in that. I believe in, okay, well, I love that dream. That's wonderful. Let's look at what that looks like. And realizing what it represents 
your dream has evolved. So has your time period of learning how to play baseball, getting yourself into major league passed? Probably. <laughs> but what does it look like? Is it because it's fame and recognition? Is it because you love to be in a spotlight? You love a challenge? You love an excitement of the game? Is it the traveling? Is it meeting new people? There's so much that it means to be an MLB player. That might be the only vision of how you see it, because that's all you know. If you dissect what that looks like, it could have looked like that when you were 20. You still feel it. Well, you feel it for a reason because it's evolved and changed. And let's unleash how we can figure out to get you to that MLB ball player and what it looks like today. Because I believe if it's still in your heart, it belongs to you. It just looks a little different than what you have in your head. Once you're open to that, which I think just the fact of having that conversation and not crushing somebody, if you're 65 and you've held on to that dream since you were 20, all you want is the dream crushers. You want to be forced down. So you're asking somebody else to be like, how are you going to crush my dream now? How are you going to ruin my life? And once again, that's part of the cycle of I'm getting closer to God, but I'm scared of it. So I'm going to ask everybody to bring me back down. When someone comes to me and asks me something that seems a little impossible, it doesn't have to be impossible. Let's figure it out. They're like, wow, what? That sparks something inside of them. Then you really get into these layers of, well, yeah, wait, I don't want to do that. That's crazy. I got to be on the field every day for like five, six hours. <laughs> How many months? Oh, no, mm -hmm. I don't want to do that. You know, there's so many layers that can go into that. And now look at how the world has changed. I mean, if you came to me and are like, I want to go to the moon years ago, we'd be like, Pfft. now it's like, all right, well, here's a few phone numbers. <laughs> go talk to Elon Musk <laughs> and you can make that happen. You know, the world changes, it evolves dreams and individual dreams. I never believe in dream crushing because that's what the rest of the world can do. I believe in recalculating what your dream is because that's what God is doing. Mm -hmm. And I'm just trying to help facilitate through God to make sure that your dream will happen. Yeah. You know, we had a previous guest, Wendy, who she's eliminated the word can't <laughs> because her story, there are a lot of dream crushers that would have said, well, you can't do this anymore. You can't do this anymore. You can't do this anymore. And she decided not to operate based on can't because you're right. There are things that we have in our minds that become very limited based on our understanding. But what God can do could be way beyond that. While you were sharing, it also made me think of another guest, Barbie, who from a young age, cheerleading was her thing. It was who she was. And her life was just lining up to live into that at the fullest. She started her own business. She was doing big things. And then everything got taken away. She ran into all these health issues that destroyed that dream, at least in her mind. And she got to a place where she realized there's absolutely no way I can ever cheerlead again. I just can't. And she would have said that that was it. That was done. And that's not what God said. And where she is now with her story is she realized that it comes to the core of what you're saying. Let's dig into this. Because while in her mind, the only way to be a cheerleader was to physically cheerlead, where she is now, she's realizing that God has invited her to be a cheerleader for others, to be with others who are in hard situations. And someone could hear that and say, oh, that's like a nice little turn of phrase kind of thing. But for her, it is very real. The core of what she longed to do as a cheerleader she is doing in a completely different way that she could never have expected. 
The difference was, one, she had to break out of that self-inflicted suffering of sitting in her mindset of why things are so awful and how much she's lost and there's no way out of this. And two, she had to do what you talked about earlier, trust God, that God might actually know something she doesn't. And when she stepped into that space of leaning not on her own understanding, but trusting God, the trajectory shifted. And now God's working in beautiful ways. And so I think you're completely right that we have an opportunity to not get locked into our own mind, but to know that God can do more. Well, let's say somebody's listening. They love what you're saying and they want to learn more about you, connect with you, connect with what you're doing. How can they do that? Oh, wonderful. Well, it's easy to find me on social media. My tag for Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook and Twitter is at Debbie Cruz, which is D-E-B-B-Y-K-R-U-S-Z. My website is the same. I also would like to offer for your viewers a free download of a copy of my latest novel, Soul Meets Body, which is all about following your heart and all the wild, crazy stories of how am I going to get out of this, but just staying in trust in yourself and seeing how the divine comes to help you. I would love to give that to your viewers. It's also available on my website, Soul Meets Body. That's great. Thank you. Thank I really you. appreciate that. And as we close out, is there anything else in your heart that you feel like you should share? I would love for all of your listeners to take a moment today and think of five dreams that are on their heart and the ones that seem impossible and really look at how it can be possible and just keep dreaming. You will see unbelievable things happen for you, I guarantee and promise. And make sure that you smile every day because that definitely gets you closer to God. Humble introspection is something that's come up often on this podcast. It's an incredibly important skill to develop, and it's not a default of ours. Now, it can be easy in certain situations, but in most situations, it's hard because we don't want to find out that we were wrong about something, that we were navigating something in an unhealthy way. This is particularly true when you're sitting in suffering. When you're in the midst of legitimate suffering, you don't want to be told that you're somehow making it worse. So I can understand if this conversation was hard for some of you. You might be thinking, Paul, you don't understand how rough my situation is. I am not self-inflicting my suffering. It makes me think of this passage that I come to often in life and have come to often in this podcast and may have even read on this podcast. And it's Psalm 42. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of the Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. 
All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I'm fairly confident I've read this passage before, but it's worth reading again and incredibly relevant here. The truth is, this psalmist was sitting in suffering. This psalmist had legitimate hardships he was facing. And yet, we get verse 5. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Well, Mr. Psalmist, <laughs> look back at your preceding and following verses and you'll know. There are legitimate reasons why the soul is downcast and disturbed. But the psalmist is saying, but are there? What the psalmist is doing here is stepping back, doing some humble introspection and saying, yes, there are legitimate hardships. Yes, I am in rough shape. But does my soul have to be downcast? Does my soul have to be disturbed? You see, what the psalmist is recognizing is that circumstances don't have to dictate the state of our soul. The psalmist recognizes an invitation from God to put our hope in him, to praise him, to trust him. Does the psalmist feel it at this moment? No, because right after he says that, he says, my soul is downcast within me. But then he says, therefore, I will remember you. In the midst of his hardship, in the midst of his rough circumstances, he is making active decisions to not self-inflict suffering, but to invite the peace and presence of God. What's beautiful about this psalm is it doesn't force feed a happy ending. As we get to the end, the psalmist is still struggling. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? But his final words are the humble introspection leading to a pursuit of God. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Maybe you felt the deep moments of this psalm. Maybe your tears have been your food day and night. If so, I hope that this psalmist's words encourage you, because even in the midst of the hardest situations, God can be God and God can be good. We have the opportunity to make a choice, not to self-inflict suffering, but to invite the power and presence and love and peace of a God who knows us, who is with us, and who will not forsake us. Suffering is hard. We have the capacity to make it harder. But God has the capacity to do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine, no matter how bad the situation is. So if you're willing, make space for humble introspection. Then, like the psalmist, make a decision to put your hope in God. Because I believe verse 8 could be true for you. By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Take those hard but simple steps, press forward into the suffering, and then ask yourself, where did you see God?
Have you ever wanted to read Revelation but haven't known where to start? Or have you been afraid to read Revelation because of all the ways you've seen it misused? Or maybe you haven't even wanted to touch Revelation but feel like maybe you should since it's part of the Bible? Well, if you're in any of these positions or any other ones, I've got a resource for you. It's called A Journey Through Revelation for the Person Who Doesn't Want to Read Revelation. And here's the thing. The hope for this resource is that it makes the exploration of who God is and what revelation can mean for you accessible, whatever you believe. And this will not be your normal revelation study. It's not going to dive into the historic representations of the imagery or expertly decipher the prophecies. The goal of this is not to tell you what revelation means. It's to explore what it can mean for you. Now, this thing is available for you right now in a few forms. One, you could go to www.wheredidyouseegod.com revelation, and you can find a PDF for free, which you can read on your phone, on your device, or print out. But if you like something that's a little nicer looking, it is also available through Amazon on Kindle and in paperback form. And I prefer paperback, whether you print it or you get the one on Amazon, because this gives you a place to write some things out because you're going to want a place to write things out. Because I really do believe that God wants to speak to you through Revelation, whatever you feel about Revelation, whatever your experience and whatever you think about God. So if you're interested, get it for free, get it for a very, very, very low price. This is not about making money, but about us together exploring how we can see God in the midst of such a difficult and controversial book. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God? <laughs>